The other day, I came across a Facebook post where, and you know those are always so delightful these days, I came across a Facebook post where a bunch of people from an older generation, I'll say that, were complaining about the younger people, the kids these days, and and how things have really gone off the deep end. Here's some of what they said. Uh, One person said, you know, modern fashions seem to keep growing more and more debased. Whoa, that's an intense word. Another person said, young people today, they love luxury, they have bad manners, contempt for authority, and they show disrespect for their elders. Another person said, never has youth been exposed to such dangers of perversion as in our own day. Whoa. And then one person said, young people have not been humbled by life. They, they think they know everything, right? So, wow, you can, you can imagine things were getting a little, little spicy on that, that Facebook post. And, oh, wait. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That wasn't on Facebook. Actually, that was, who were these quotes really by? Oh, Yoshida Kenko from the 14th century, Socrates from the 5th century BC, Granville Stanley Hall from 1904, and Aristotle. So, okay, (laughs) I I, I may have fibbed a little bit. That wasn't Facebook. It seems like kids these days has actually always been that way, right? We've always been saying like, man, kids, they're just really going off the deep end. And, And you know what, fellow millennials? I know you think it's not true, but we're going to be doing that too someday, right? We're going to be looking down, oh, kids these days with their, their neural implants and their hover cars. You know, we used to actually have to order our DoorDash. Like, it's, it, we'll, be, we'll, be, we'll have our thing that we're upset about. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. But in all seriousness, like, this division that exists between generations, the, the, the disrespect between young and old that goes both ways, it it does seem to be kind of a part of the human condition. I mean, if Aristotle is saying it, and we're still saying it, this seems to be kind of par for the course. Young people look down on their elders, and older people look down on the young. That's just how it is. At least that's what we're tempted to say, right? We're tempted to just throw up our hands and be like, I don't know, kids will be kids, older people will be older people, this is how it goes. But here's why this is a problem, for us specifically. Because in the church, in the the followers of Jesus Christ, this movement that we are a part of, we are called to be different. Over and over, when you look at the New Testament especially, you see a call for different generations in the church to respect and honor one another. For example, Paul tells Timothy, don't let anyone think less of you because you were younger, right? Because people probably were thinking less of him. Uh, He also says to him, though, never speak harshly to an older man. Treat older women as you would your own mother. In another letter, Paul says, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. But likewise, he says, Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Right? I could go on. You get the sense. This is a very uh, common idea in the New Testament. We are called as the church to be intergenerational. Intergenerational. We are called to be different than the culture around us. So that's, that's just the way it is. That's what we see in Scripture. But I, I have two questions that get raised when I think about that. Okay, we're called to be different than the world around us. Question number one, why? Why are we supposed to be different? And, and question number two, okay, if we are different, how are we supposed to do that? How do we, do we create a different kind of intergenerational community than the one that the society around us seems to form? If Aristotle's talking about this, and we're still talking about this, how in the world are we supposed to be different? 
Well, that is what we're going to talk about today. This is the final week in our series, It's Not About Me, where we're talking about the self-giving love of Jesus. We're kind of dreaming together about what it would look like if Grace Church had the year of selflessness in 2022. What, what might change with our reputation? What might change in our community or even in our own lives if we actually tried to model this selflessness that, that Jesus called his followers to model, to live? What might happen? So that's what this series is all about. And today, as we cap off the series, I want to apply that same question, that same concept to this idea of, of being an intergenerational community. How might we be selfless with older and younger generations living together? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at a passage in 1 Peter. I'd love for you to have it open in front of you if you want to follow along. 1 Peter 5, verse 1 is where we'll start. It'll be page 1026 in the House Bibles. And if you're watching online, just grab whatever Bible you can or just Google Bible and you'll find it somehow, I'm sure. All right. Before we do that, though, let me just pray for us and then we'll, we'll get into Scripture. Father God, as we open the, the, your word, as we look at scripture, I have a simple request. Just ask that your Holy Spirit would speak. In this time that we have together, would I disappear and would your Holy Spirit remain, Father? I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so let's take a look at 1 Peter 5. A uh, couple things to, to know just as far as context goes. Uh, Paul tended to write his letters to like specific churches or specific communities, but Peter here in this letter, he's kind of writing to all y'all. He's writing to like Christians broadly. He's expecting this letter to be read all over the ancient world, okay? That's one thing. The second thing is what we're about to read, he's specifically talking to elders, which are in the church was a very specific role that people had within the church. But I, I think it applies to older generations as we'll, we'll get there in a minute. But he's talking specifically to elders and he has a word for those who are younger as well. So let's read this. And now, oh, Peter says, a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And I, too, will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example." And when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. In the same way, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. And all of you, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Okay, so in a nutshell, Peter says, elders care for the flock. And he says, young people accept their authority. And everybody, young and old, you got to dress yourselves in humility. That's what he says. Now, we're going to look more specifically at what he says in a moment. Um, but, but before we do that, I want to take a step back and answer that first big question that we raised. All this stuff about respect between the generations, why is this important for us? Why is this important for the church? Well, again, this is why I talk about this a lot, why it's important to look at the context of what we're reading. You, you don't read one specific uh, verse pulled out of context. You look at how it fits in with the broader story. I call it the world of the text. Uh, because when you look at that, you get a sense of why the stakes are so high for Peter. 
Just a few verses before what we read there, he, he talks a lot about the persecution that the church is experiencing. A lot of, uh, he, he says, he talks about suffering and insults and fiery trials, he says. So he's talking about things, the heat is getting turned up on the church. People are pushing back on, on early Christians. And then a few verses after what we just read, he says this, he says, stay alert, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering that you are. Same kind of suffering you are. So again, it's about persecution. It's about about the challenges that the church is going to face. So clearly, you get the sense that the, the time that Peter wrote this, persecution was ramping up for Christians. The pressure was on. And from his perspective, this is a perfect time to talk about respect between the generations because he seems to think that in order to endure the suffering that's coming, then there's no place for disrespect or dishonor between the generations. Shepherd your flock well, respect your elders. The church's survival depends on it. And it makes sense if if you really think about it because Think about this. In a time of chaos and danger for the church, the last thing a church needs is is conflict between younger and older generations. That's the last thing they need. It degrades the very fabric of a community. And the the church can't be what it's called to be. I mean, again, imagine uh, imagine a church where, where it has none of the wisdom of those who have been walking with Christ for decades. Imagine a church without the wisdom. Or imagine a, a different church that, that has no, none of the energy and youth and excitement and, and joy of younger people to, to drive it forward and the new perspectives. Imagine if the church didn't have that. Imagine a church that just divided itself along the exact same lines that everyone else does in culture. How is that church gonna, gonna make a difference, much less survive in a time of challenge? It's not. It's not. Those churches, the ones that are so lopsided, those are the churches that that fail in a time of crisis. It was true in Peter's day, and it's still true today. And friends, I'm going to shoot straight with you. I believe, I tend to think that we are in a time of crisis as the American church. Now, it's not persecution the way it was to the ancient, uh, ancient Christians. I mean, we're, we're able to worship freely. That's not, that's not the problem. However, the message of Jesus that we are attempting to, to share with others is starting to fall on deaf ears, isn't it? We're seeing as many, the credibility gap for many people is growing. They want nothing to do with Jesus. There's an entire generation of young people for the first time in American history that are so far away from the church and really just have no desire to come back. So there is a bit of a crisis here, and frankly, it's existential. We may be able to kind of keep tooling along for, for a few more years, but I'm telling you, in 10 years, in 20 years, if things don't start to change, it's going to get pretty dire. We are in a time of crisis. So how, how might we be contributing to that crisis by being a community where we don't know how to stay in the room with people who are different than us? I really think some of the same factors are at play. According to Peter, frankly, according to Paul in some of his letters, according to Jesus himself, 
This same message follows loud and clear. If we want to thrive and survive in this broken world, and if we want the message of Jesus Christ to take root in our community, then we had better start demonstrating the self-giving love of Jesus, becoming a community where all parts are working together as one. That takes humility, folks. It's not about me. That's the attitude that we have to have for different abilities and different cultures and languages and generations, different generations to, to, to live together in harmony because we all bring something different to the table. That's what it looks like to stay healthy in a time of crisis. I love how Paul put it. He said, Christ makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Guys, I want Grace Church to be healthy and growing and full of love. Don't you? I want that. But I don't think it can happen if we remain divided like everybody else around us. We've got to find another way. That is why being intergenerational is important. It is one component in a much bigger call for us to live to make room for one another, to live in such a way where people who are different than us are shaping our lives as we shape theirs. We make room for one another. That is why Peter goes there with all this stuff about elders and young people in the middle of a whole section about persecution because this, the existence of the church depends on it. And frankly, it is why I'm talking about it now in a series about selflessness because I believe that to fulfill our calling in a broken world, We must make room for one another. We must. So there you go. That's why. That's why I believe this is vital. But probably the even bigger question at this point is, okay, so how do we do it? How are we supposed to to have harmony between the generations? Again, if Socrates and Aristotle are are saying kids these days, are we ever going to be able to overcome that basic uh, division in in our world? Well, let's take a little closer of a look uh, at what Peter says here, because I think we'll find some very important things here to to, to consider. Uh, In verses 2 and 5, Peter taps into a pretty common metaphor for leaders of God's people, that of shepherds. He he talks about, uh, says, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. You are shepherds, in other words. Now, it's clear where he got this from. Peter obviously got this from Jesus because Jesus, he talked about shepherds all the time. In fact, he talked about the leaders of Israel as shepherds that weren't really doing their job. But Jesus wasn't even the one who came up with that. He was actually quoting from the Old Testament prophets who talked about shepherds as well. And they got, they got real intense. Like if you look at Ezekiel 34, they talk about the shepherds of Israel, the leaders of Israel, as corrupt shepherds who were eating the flock instead of caring for it. Like it's, it gets really dark. So anyway, you can follow this thread. Jesus is talking about, about being shepherds, but he wants to present a different way to shepherd the flock. It's different than the way that that we might do naturally. He says this. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd does what? Does he sacrifices his life for the sheep. That's upside down from, you know, shepherds eating the flock. No, the shepherd is giving his life for the flock. That is a completely different way of approaching it. And I'm sure Peter heard Jesus talk about this all the time. He talked about this inversion of the role of a shepherd, and I think that's exactly what he is doing here. He is picking up on that thread when he's speaking to elders in the early church. Look again at verse 2. He's saying, care for your flock, 
Care for your flock. It's not even your flock. It's God's flock. He entrusted it to you. Care for the flock. Watch over it willingly. Don't do, uh, don't do it for what you're going to get out of it. And lead them by your own good example. That's how you lead. So for Peter, just like Jesus, the key to leading the flock, to leading as an elder in the church is selflessness. Setting yourself aside, leading as a servant. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the flock. That is the model that we are to follow. Now, this is not an easy thing to do. I imagine for somebody who was an elder back then, someone who's older in that community, I imagine that they finally have a little bit of authority in their community. It would be very, very tempting, wouldn't it, to lord it over people, to to use that authority and say, all right, it's my time to be in charge and you're going to do what I say. But Peter's saying, no, no, you invert that. The more authority you have, the more you give yourself away. You, You lead by serving. That's how you shepherd. So that's what he says to the elders. That's pretty, pretty intense. But then he turns to the young people, young people in, in verse 5. Uh, now, real quick, we don't know exactly what he had in mind, if there was a specific age that he was thinking when he says younger people. Uh, but there are some clues, some, some clues that we can find in other ancient sources of how maybe people thought about, about different ages. In fact, I came across something that I just had to share with you because I think it's kind of funny and interesting. But there is a, uh, a holy text in Judaism called the Mishnah. It's the oral Torah, and they essentially, it doesn't matter what it is. Okay, in the Mishnah, it's just giving advice about, about living in, in God's world. And, and they're talking about the different generations. They're talking about different ages and kind of giving some wisdom on how different ages are to behave and what you're ready for when you hit these different, these different milestones. So again, this is just interesting, and I'm not saying this is the way it is for everyone. I'm saying this is maybe how it was for Peter in his day. Uh, Mishnah says this. At 18, you ready for this, parents of teenagers? At 18, you are ready for the brider, bridal chamber. You're ready to be married. That's what it says. So uh, good luck, parents of 18-year-olds. They are apparently ready for, for getting married and having a family. Crazy. Uh, at 20, the Mishnah says you are ready to pursue a calling or a career. That one makes sense. At 30, interestingly, at 30, you're fit for authority because apparently that's when you're at the peak of strength. That's what they say at 30. Uh, At 50, you're ready to counsel, to counsel others, presumably to, to counsel those who are in authority. You can start to counsel them. At 60, you are an elder of the people. And at 70, it's time for, quote, gray hairs, that's what it's time for. Now, I, I thought about this, and I, I don't know much about where they were say, what they were saying there, but I don't think that's a derogatory thing at all. I think the life expectancy back then was around 35. So if you get into your 70s, you did it, right? You made it. You can sit back and be just old and wise and just let people wait on you, right? That's kind of how they, how they saw things maybe back then. I like that. It's time for gray hairs. Just sit back and enjoy, right? You did it. You made it to 70. Now, Again, I'm not saying that those ages need to correspond to our world. We're all living so, so much longer. I don't know, and I mean, adultalescence is a thing where people are staying in, in some form of adolescence longer than it. So I'm not saying that these ages correspond, but it's important and, and maybe helpful to think that in that time, perhaps when Peter says those who are younger, he's talking specifically to those perhaps below age 30, before they're ready for that authority that, that comes with, with that, that age. Anyway, it's probably different today, but that's an interesting thing about what he might be saying. 
So let's, let's talk about, what does he say to young people? It's really short, but it carries a lot of weight. He says this uh, in verse, in verse, what verse is that? Uh, verse five, he says, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. More literally, he, he says, uh, you must place yourself under them. Place yourself under these elders. Now, just imagine being like a, I don't know, a 23-year-old back then and, and trying, to, trying to picture yourself hearing that you're supposed to accept the authority of the elders. That probably, just like today, that probably feels a little bit unfair. Why should people in their 20s have to submit themselves to older people? Well, again, you've got to remember the context of this passage. Peter is writing to the church in peril. Persecution, violence, instability, fiery trials, as he says, This is a time for the church to be steady and wise. And in general, I'm not being controversial here, in general, younger people, they tend to be a little bit, they have a higher tolerance for risk, right? I mean, that's how you, when you're looking at investing, that's how they do it. You have a higher tolerance of of risk when you're younger. You're you're less patient for things to happen. You're more likely to jump in, maybe even a bit more impulsive because you're young, you're invincible, it's just how, how you're wired. And, and look, the church needs some of that. I think Peter would agree. The church needs uh, uh, the strengths and creativity and energy of the young. And frankly, if you're a good shepherd of the church, if you're an elder, you will be setting yourself aside and calling out those strengths from your, your young people. That's, that's just good leadership. But, but, and it takes humility to do that, doesn't it? But in a time of crisis... It is not a time to be impulsive. It's not the time to just sweep risks aside. It is a time to be wise, and you can only have wisdom through experience. That takes humility from those who are young. So you you see what's happening here? We need humility from those who are old to call out the strengths of the young, and you need humility from the young to, to trust that sometimes those who are older know what they're doing, especially in a time of crisis. Bottom line, both young and old must set themselves aside for the church to survive. Both young and old must set themselves aside for the church to survive. Which is why Peter caps all this off by saying, and all of you, young and old, dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. Now, Paul, in some of his letters, he also talks about dressing yourself with humility. But here, Peter uses a very specific Greek word that literally is like, it means wrapping a a towel or apron around yourself like a herdsman or a slave, okay? That was what the word meant. It was a very specific type of dressing yourself. Now, we don't know exactly what he was thinking when he used this word, but I can take a pretty educated guess at what image he had in his mind as he wrote that. And here's what I think he was picturing. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table. He took off his robe and he what? He wrapped a towel around his waist like a slave. And he poured water into a basin, and then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. Dress yourself with humility. I'm just, I'm just going to say, I'm pretty sure that's what Peter had in mind. Jesus, the, the leader, the, the one with all authority, the, the savior of the world, serving, 
like a servant, like a slave. That, that attitude, that mentality is how the church survives. Older and younger generations modeling the self-giving love of Jesus, humbling themselves for the sake of one another. That's how the church makes it. So, okay. I, I, I think this is a good foundation, and it's time for us to ask the question, how are we doing? How are we doing? Grace Church. Now, I know I already mentioned that, that I believe the church in America is in a time of, of crisis. Well, if that's true, how well are we doing at, at setting ourselves aside? How intergenerational are we? Now, I do have some good news because I think, I think we're actually making some really great progress on this. You already heard from, uh, from Cassie about how intergenerational the cast of the musical is, and it's always like that. That's a big value for our musicals. Uh, but it's also true in our, our care center volunteer team. We've got people of all ages serving together there, uh, Grace Kids, Student Ministries. You, have you seen the worship team recently? Uh, the amount of, of age diversity that we're seeing in our team is, is truly incredible. We have had now not one, but two different weekends over the last six months where we've had a high schooler and some someone in their 60s or 70s joining the worship team on the same weekend. It's happened twice now. Like, that's amazing, right? Props to Marin for, for helping to lead the team to be that age diverse. It's incredible. So I, I think we're doing well. We're starting to see some significant, beautiful uh, engagement happening, uh, you know, all over the place of different ages. But I think we still have some work to do. We do, because I think it's very easy for us when it comes to just sort of the, the, the day-to-day, the sitting in church, the going about our business, it's very easy for us to default back to some of the cultural norms that we already talked about. So let me talk to you as your pastor about some, some ways I'd like to encourage us to grow in this, okay? So let me, let me share some of, some of the things that are on my heart. First, I want to speak to those of you who are older grace. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you decide whether that applies to you, all right? (laughs) I'm not about to be like the Mishnah and put an age on it, all right? If you think that you are a part of the older generation or or maybe older than the median or something like that, I've got something to share with you. It's totally, totally up to you whether this is you. Uh, Okay, I know what we read. Peter is talking specifically to elders, He's talking about this specific role, this job title in the church, but again, what he says, it really does apply to, to anyone who's, who's older uh, in the church, anyone who's, who's uh, shepherding others in the flock. I think his words still apply because if you are older in this congregation, then you have a role to play in shepherding. You do. You are a shepherd of those who are younger. And so I just want to ask you, first of all, we need your wisdom We need your wisdom. We need your discernment. We need you involved. We need you involved at all all levels of this church. I want to ask you to to get in the game. Join the core team. Volunteer because we need you to be rubbing shoulders with those from younger generations. It's the only way you're going to shepherd them well. So will you get involved? Will you get in the game? As Peter says in verse 3, we need you to lead us by your own good example. And you can't do that at a distance, can you? Now we need you to lead up close and personal. Show us, show us by the way you live what it means to live and love like Jesus. Can you do that? And as you do, as you step into that role, I've got one request for you. I've got one thing to think about. In verse two, Peter says, watch over the flock 
willingly, not for what you will get out of it. And then in verse 3, he says, don't lord it over the people assigned to your care. So I just want to say, I'm going to speak plainly. Look, our world is changing. Our world is changing. It, it always changes, but it's been changing fast over our lifetime. And the church is changing. We're going through some unprecedented experiences. Grace Church is changing. It's just what happens. It's how it goes. But again, in a time of turmoil and a time of crisis, it is very easy to pull back and start demanding that your needs and your desires get met, that things get done in a way that that you enjoy, that we talk about the things that make you feel comfortable, that make you feel good. Okay, that's natural. It's normal. But look, and, and by the way, we work hard to make sure that we are making room for everybody. We, we really do. Stylistically and programmatically, we work hard all the time. We will never be a youth-obsessed church. Never have been, never will be. It's not who we are. It's not what we do. However, however, in a time of crisis, with so much turmoil and change going on around us, when most young people in America want nothing to do with Jesus, There may be times in the future where we need to branch out as a church into some areas or some some topics that make you uncomfortable. Things that you kind of wish we would rather just sort of sweep under the rug. It's going to happen. Now look, hear me. When I say that, I'm not thinking about anything in particular. I'm not trying to like, to, to do any sort of ulterior motive. I'm just saying, I'm just saying that at Grace Church, we need your wisdom and, and we need your grace. We need your wisdom. Get involved. Get in the game, but we need your grace as well because things are changing and we have got to bring the message of Jesus to a hurting generation. So will you offer us that grace even as you offer us your presence? As Peter says, lead us by your own good example because, he says, you are eager to serve God. Just plant this seed of thought. The younger generation They're going to be the older generation in the blink of an eye. So I'm asking you, will you give them a foundation of selflessness to build on? Will you do that? Show us what it means to set yourself aside, to live like it's not about me. Tell you what, despite the chaos of our day, that, if we do that, that is how Grace Church survives to 2050 and beyond. All right, now, now I'm going to switch perspectives, and as your pastor, I'm going to start speaking to those of you who are in the younger generation, and again, it's opt-in. This feels like it applies to you, and I'm going to do something. I'm going to switch, and I'm actually going to speak as someone who, in some senses, is from an older generation. I turned 39 in March, and I got gray hairs coming in all over in my beard, okay? So I'm feeling very, uh, maybe I'm ready to be sitting back and enjoying my gray hairs. Not yet, not yet. I want to speak to you uh, kids these days, all right, whoever you are. I want to talk to you as your pastor. If you are part of the, the younger generation, whatever that means here at Grace Church, I have a request for you that frankly might be even a little bit harder than what I'm asking of the older generation. Peter makes it pretty clear in verse 5, you who are younger must accept the authority of the elders. I'm asking you to accept the authority of some of those in the older generation. Now, I want to be clear. What that means, I don't think Peter would would mean this either. It does not mean that if you're young, you're supposed to just, just sit down and be quiet and let the older generation rule the world. I don't think that's how it works. 
No, again, if this church is to survive, we need your energy. We need your, your creativity and your fresh perspectives. We need you in the game. We need you to keep asking why. Keep asking why. Keep pushing back with the hard questions so we don't ever get stuck in a rut. We need you involved because this is your church too. And it's your future. What future do you want to see for Grace Church? Tell us about it. Share it. Let's build it together. Those of us who are older than you at Grace, we are going to wrap a towel around our waist and we are going to serve you. We are going to lift you up and we are going to help you soar into your God-given destiny. But as we do that, I am asking you, will you maintain a posture of open palms? Will you be humble? Will you wrap the towel around your waist as well? Will you enter into community with people who are older than you? Don't just spend all your time hanging out with people your own age. Will you serve together with those who are older and learn together and, and, and uh, seek scripture together and look for, for answers together with those from an older generation? Will you trust that those of us who maybe are a bit older than you know a thing or two from experience? I guarantee the wisdom and the discernment of those who are a bit farther down the road of life, it will make your life better. Don't rob yourself of the wisdom that could be yours. And look, if you think the, old, if you think the older generation's got something wrong, theologically or, or ideologically or something, if you think that the older generation is wrong and you've got the truth, then you need to share it with us. But I want to remind you that you cannot share the truth while lobbing, I don't know, truth grenades from behind a, a youth barricade. It doesn't, it doesn't work. You got to be in the room. You got to be shoulder to shoulder with one another, seeking answers from God together. Let us know, but then walk with, it, with us through that. Let your elders shepherd you, even as you prepare to lead. Share your perspective, and we will listen, right? Right? We'll listen. Yes, older generation with the gray hairs. And the, yes, we will listen. We will listen because we've got open palms too. We've got open palms too. Young people, here's what I'm saying to you. We need your energy and creativity and passion and we need your humility in this season of your life. Someday, someday, not too far in the future, you are gonna be on the other side of the divide. You're gonna have the wisdom of years to offer this community. And until that time, I'm just asking, will you practice self-giving love? Because if you do, then when it comes time for you to have a few gray hairs, when it comes time for you to shepherd this congregation, guess what? You are gonna have so much practice setting yourself aside and leading like Jesus. It's gonna be so much easier. Start now. I truly believe that we can be a church of selflessness. And if I have anything to do with it, this is gonna be something that will define us in the next few decades. We will be a church that makes room for everyone. It doesn't matter how young or old you are because we are a church of humility. As we make room for one another, I genuinely believe we will be making room for Christ to move. Let's pray. Well, Father, 
as we wrap up this whole series about selflessness and, and specifically as we think about being selfless with one another when it comes to our age and our generation, I know that it's an uphill battle. We've got the, the cultural tendencies of, of millennia standing against us. And yet, Father, I am more convinced than ever that you have called us to be a church that loves and lives like Christ. Would you shape us, Father? Would we have, have the humility to listen to your voice, the humility to learn how to set ourselves aside? And Father, would we be a community that looks so radically different to the world around us that people have no choice but to sit up and take notice of what your spirit is doing here? Father, we need your wisdom. We need your guidance. We need your light. We are listening. Would you speak? I pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus, the one who washed his followers' feet. Amen. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church, and the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us slash hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.